Hi. Hello. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing, Kimmy? I'm doing really good. It's Kim. She, her. My name is Alex. My pronouns are they, them. And you're listening to How to Be Queer. We're like super queers today. Do we want to tell everybody why we're super queers today? Oh, we got four queer people. Four queer people in the room. It's like our street. There's like rainbows coming off the top of our house right now because the amount of queer people in the studio today. So welcome to How to Be Queer, our podcast where we talk about all things queer while you're trying to live in a heteronormative world. It's Kim and Alex. We're back here with you. Um, we got a little bit of housekeeping. So, you know, the first thing we always tell you is we are powered by Youth Scene. Thank you so much, Youth Scene, for supporting us. Please go over to their site, drop them some money if you like what you hear. YouthScene.org. We always got to spell it, you know? We do because it's like hot, like a scene but it's like, no, I'm seeing you. I'm, I see you. Right. And this is important. As we know, on our way to queer joy, we need to be seen. Oh, you guys got, we got guests with us today. Should we just jump in and we're going to just introduce them right away, aren't we? That sounds good. Okay. So hi guests. Do you guys want to lean on in and introduce yourselves? Yes. Hi everyone. I'm Molly. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Deirdre and I use she, her pronouns as well. And I'm going to ask Molly right off the bat. How do we know you, Molly? Mm, I went to college with Alex. So that's right. We're Buckeyes. OH. IO. Oh my God. <laughs> you think y'all practice that? <laughs> we have. <laughs> Just for the record, like this is a Penn State house though, right? Uh-huh. Okay. You're, out, you're outnumbered <laughs> I today. Am, I am outnumbered today and it's kind of bullshit. But yeah, you guys met in college. You both went to Ohio State. You guys were both athletes at Ohio State together. And here we are 20 some odd years later. Y'all are still in, you guys are still in this great friendship together. And we're still still in each other's lives, which is a blessing, isn't it? Yes. It's so good. We, you know, we ended up in Colorado just on our own different circumstances, but it's really nice when that happens and you settle nearby someone that yeah, was a good friend in college. And how do you two fit together? Tell our listeners. Well, we're married as Yay. of two months and four days ago. Is that right? Two Pretty months, close. four days. Do you have it hours, seconds? Mm. No. Uh-uh. Uh, and um, smitten over the moon, full of joy, yeah. married couple. So listeners take a guess what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> we are we're going to talk about queer love queer marriage queer joy spitting over the moon love joy so listeners come with me for a minute we are coming to you this is uh you're going to be getting this episode on the 12th of november which is the day that alex you and i are going to pick up dun, 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 a marriage license for ourselves on that day the following Friday, which is November the 19th, you and I are, are having an over-the-top crazy celebration because we have gotten married. And on that day, listeners, you will be um, you will be with listening with us with our dear friend Kim, who's sharing the story of her daughter Ravina for Transgender Day of Remembrance. So those are your next two weeks with us. And then when we come back, it will be um, the first podcast we bring to you after we got married. But right now we're on the cusp of getting there with our dear friends who just got married. So we're hoping that they're going to share with us today how they got to joy. And we're also sharing some extra doggy joy with Captain Underbite and 
two of his buddies. Yeah. When you said 20 years later, I thought 20 years, uh, seven children and three dogs. Oh gosh. It's yeah. That's how much is gone. That's a, that's a lot of life. Okay. We're going to try to work here with captain underwrite. Captain Underwrite is not joining us in this episode. He's, he's under our feet right now. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about, and, and we'll decide which one of you wants to go first. You guys can thumb wrestle it out. Who wants to go first? Tell I'll us about thumb I'll, wrestle. I'll That's first. boring. <laughs> Listen, this is a family show, Alex. <laughs> Sorry. Highly produced family show. All right, Molly, you're up. Tell us a little bit about your journey to finding joy. Hmm. It's a big question. It's a big question. Yeah. And it's, you know, how far to go back and how, how deep to go, but I'll, I'll try to find a balance there. I, I think that for me, finding joy is just so connected to finding belongingness. And I think it's belongingness both in community and with myself too. Uh, I think an important influential piece of my life is that I grew up in a, in a super rural conservative area. And I, you know, I knew from a pretty young age, maybe early teens that I, that I was queer and it was hard. It was really, really hard. And looking back, I can, you know, I think that I found sports as a place to be myself and feel belonging and feel just joy present in my body present in a, you know, a, athletic presentation. Um, but it was hard and I could not wait to get out of my small rural town. And I did, and I found college and, oh gosh, I wanted, I, I couldn't wait to go to college. I wanted to go to the biggest college in Ohio, grew up in Ohio and hoping that I, you know, there'd be every kind of thing to do and every kind of people to meet. And, um, it, you know, it's, I'd had a great experience at Ohio State, and I did. I found a sense of belonging really through our sports team, through the rowing team that I was on with Alex. And I think I just kind of continued to be on a journey of of finding belongingness, both with myself and with in in communities. So, I, I I'm still in college. I never left college. I think yeah, that's part of it. Share yeah. share everybody share with our listeners what you do. I teach. I'm I'm uh, I teach public health. I'm an epidemiologist. So. So yeah, life has been really boring yeah, for you, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's kind of a fun time to be alive. If you're at an epidemic, I don't know if fun is the right word. Sometimes it's fun, but yeah, it's not boring. That's for sure. So goodness joy. But I, you know, I, I am i uh, I'm 42 years old and we just got married. So thinking back to my teenage self, um, I didn't, I, I didn't think that this is, would be where I have find myself and at 42, um, married to someone who I love deeply. We're super connected. We have children that we co-parent and kind of have all the things. So, yeah. So I'm going to prod you a little to talk about this because it's something you've shared with us, but when you say that you didn't really think that you would be married, tell us more what made you think that kind of going through before you got 42? Yeah. I, I mean, growing up in the, in the eighties and nineties, that wasn't an option. It was no, it was not possible legally to get married in this country. And I, I remember, you know, big piece of coming out to my parents and, and they were great. I, I didn't come out to my parents. I think I was around 20 years old and I was at Ohio state, but I remember my parents both being just, 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 they felt sad that I would never be married. You know, there are, there are so many 
privileges and uh, that come along with marriage. And that, you know, in the 80s, 90s, when you chose to be gay or when you realized that you were queer, um, that meant you would give up things. And I remember feeling in my teenage and my 20s years old that I was I was really conscious of the things that I would give up the right to marriage, the right to be safe in some spaces. Um, And you know, I did, I did have a sense of, of choosing myself and who I was despite that, um, that kind of, that connects to me finding belonging within myself. Mm -hmm. So, so that's really interesting what you just shared with us that, because I know like those words are kind of used, they can be really twisted, right? Well, people choose this, they choose this. What was it always said? Like, oh, you, it's a lifestyle that you choose. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, everybody feels the right to tell you that, well, I don't agree with that lifestyle. <laughs> like we're just picking up a town and country magazine and it's like, <laughs> oh, I would love to choose this lifestyle, <laughs> right? Like I'm choosing a paint color for my drawing room, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. But for you, but what you had just you know said really well, is there's something happening with the children. Okay. We're going to let them figure it out. But what you had just said about, you know, on some level, you did realize that this was a choice that you were making and that you were worried you were going to have to give up certain aspects of life if you chose to essentially be yourself. Yeah. I I mean, and I think it's, it's not, yeah, it's choosing to be gay, but it was really just choosing to be me, choosing to be who I was you know, um, and that that's, that's part of the process of coming out tied to the process of coming out when you choose to kind of be authentic or grip to who you are. Um, yeah, that's tied to coming out. You want to toss it to your lovely wife? Oh yeah. Tossing. (laughs) Well, I love the weaving nature of our stories because unlike you, Molly, I didn't make that choice for authenticity and joy. Um, I grew up like you in the nineties in the shadows of focus on the family and, um, this binary world that you are either a Christian or you are gay. You are either a parent or you are gay. Like this whole paradigm of either, or, and so for me, I, always had just an unrest in me, but I wasn't an, I wasn't a a rower. I was a cheerleader. (laughs) I mean, you do kind of look like a cheerleader, right? You look like every varsity captain. Thank you. You look like every cheerleader Uh that was at my high school. Uh (laughs) And I mean, obviously you're a stunning woman, but you do, you have the long blonde hair and the the blue eyes and the beautiful face, you know, like Mm -hmm. you do, you look like Barbie. Well, Thanks. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> no, I mean it as a compliment. Barbie's Mo- beautiful. Molly thinks that she's. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny. One of my best best friends from high school, who is a uh, a writer for some very well known comedy shows, she was a cheerleader with me. And when I came out to her when I was forty two, so not in my twenties, she's like, "There's already been a movie made about you. It's called." But I'm a cheerleader. I love that movie. <laughs> Of course I do. You love that movie too. I do. Well, and while my family was not um, steeped in evangelical Christianity, I was definitely part of that community through friends and, you know, was on the praise band at Fellowship of Christian Athletes at CSU and sang in my church praise band and just had this paradigm that the way that you're supposed to do life 
is that you graduate from high school, you go to college, you find a nice boy, you get married, you have kids, and you live happily ever after. I mean, if you look at any of the golden books, it's like, no shit. Right. <laughs> this is the path in front of you. Uh-huh. So that was the path that I took. Um, I got married very young, right out of college and not shockingly that marriage had everything, um, fraught and wrong in terms of why we were both getting married so we could be intimate and not be sinners in the eyes of God. Um, so that one ended shortly. And then this path to motherhood that I thought had to be through marriage to a man and the picket fence and the minivan I pursued that and I tried for 15 years to quote, make it work. Are you willing to share with us a little bit about what make it work actually looked like? Yeah, I, um, you know, I always felt broken. There was just always something that was, you know, I don't even like using the term wrong with me. But this unsettled feeling of, and the best way to describe it is it's like a hybrid of like wanting to climb the walls all the time and just not feeling like, and Molly, your word of belonging, like you don't even belong to yourself. There's just this, you you can't, there, I can't describe it other than that. You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong. And what was interesting for me is that I the way that I coped with this is I focused on the outermost rings of change in my community, you know, fighting for food justice, fighting for equity, fighting for all these things while ignoring the fact that I didn't belong to myself. So I started to go to some doctors to be like, what's wrong with me? Like I have zero desire for intimacy. Um, I'm just, I'm there. I'm broken. I've had three kids. You know, I had enough to conceive three children. And I think that my drive was all rooted in that pursuit of motherhood, which I I, have a question about that. mm -hmm. Okay. So the drive for motherhood and having that tied to, cause, cause growing up in a religious institution, I was, I was very much taught too that the only reasons you would have sex was for the purposes of procreation. So once you conceived, like, so you had enough drive to be like, yep, conceived the three kids. Do you feel like the religious umbrella you sort of grew under was like, kind of like pointing your mind in that direction? I think subconsciously. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I spent early formative years in the Catholic church and then shifted to the evangelical community And so there was just always this cloud of sin and dirty, and it's only meant for procreation. It's only in the context of man and woman, it's to be done in marriage. So there always was this. And I think looking back that I, I know it it impacted that for me. Um, Yeah. It's almost like it gets to the point where you, you don't even know why you're choosing what you're choosing. You're just choosing. mm -hmm. Yeah. One foot in front of the other. Yeah. Like it is, this is what it is. So So I, um, you know, I went to four different healthcare providers to talk about this and I had everything from suggestions and treatment plans that included testosterone therapy, 
one provider who told me I just needed to drink more wine. And I was like, Hmm, I have a family history of addiction. I'm not sure that that's really wise counsel. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So basically they told you to get drunk so that you'd want to have sex. Yeah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Like you should drink more wine. Did it come with like a side date of Pornhub too? (laughs) Like, I mean, right. Like that was their advice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I went, it was prescribed sex therapy and even in sex therapy, even with someone with a, you know, doctorate level degree, never asked me because they see this cheerleader with the dangly earrings and the makeup and the blonde hair. And they have this perception of what does gay look like? And I'm not it that it never came up. The religious piece came up but no one ever said, do you think maybe you're attracted to women? And so I just put one foot in front of the other, kept going through life, not belonging to myself, not, I mean, um, and even taking hormone therapy, Yeah, they gave you testosterone thinking that that was going to be a magic shot. Yeah. I remember. And I still remember that I did it on Sundays in the evening, like end of the week or beginning of the week, everyone to look at it. And I remember being up in my bathroom, weeping, like putting the shot in my leg, thinking this will fix me. This will make me be able to be what I'm meant to supposed to be. And it didn't, it just made me really sad. So, um, it wasn't until I don't, remember a defining moment per se, um, where I was like, I don't think I'm broken. I was it. I don't think I'm broken. I mean, had you, and, and I'm sorry that I don't actually know this, but had you identified for yourself that you were queer before that, or were you still dancing around? Like I, it might not be that I'm just broken or did you know that? Okay. I am queer. You know, what's really interesting looking back so much of my ahas are hindsight because, uh, I remember, and my former husband talks, talked about this when I did come out to him. Um, I was always looking at the choice of a church, like my paradigm for where we would hang out and where we would worship and where it was always in this motherhood vein of like, well, I think what if one of my kids is gay? I don't want to go to a church where they hear that that's a sin. And so I always had this, but I do remember, um, one of my dear friends from high school who he, he didn't ever come out, but he was part of a very religious, very, very religious community died by suicide. Um, and I remember there, I, we were going to a Methodist church and they had a, um, suicide awareness for the queer community, a whole sermon. God bless those Methodists. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I wept like this deep, deep for somebody that I hadn't seen in 20 years, but just thinking about him was why I thought I was weeping. Um, and in hindsight, I think it, I know now that it was so personal for me. So Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to pause on that and take it in because I know you've had moments too, where you would find yourself weeping. Um, I know I had moments where I would find myself weeping. I know a lot of women actually that have found themselves in situations of weeping, whether they're queer or not, but 
we talked about this a little bit before, but the choices that we were always given that seemed like an, or not an, and, um, which you've also, you've also experienced the, you know, thinking that so many of your choices were going to be an, or that you couldn't be multiple things all at the same time. Um, but the weeping and that deep recognition of, you know, gosh, it's so sad to think that this happened to your friend, but it was connecting for you on some deeper level. It was just what, whether or not you were going to really look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about, gosh, just made me think about all the times I'd, I remember like screaming at the top of my lungs in the shower, like crying and, and then like, even like going for drives and crying and like, because there was so much in me now looking back hindsight, like you're saying, like, it was like my skin couldn't contain it. And it was just like, and I would just, you just have to like put it. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, I can go scream in my shower or like cry in my car where no one will be like, you're crazy because I definitely lived in a place where with a, with a person that was like, you're crazy. You're not crazy. And I'm not fucking crazy. <laughs> no, you're just queer. I'm just gay as hell. And all the other things. <laughs> yeah. You're just gay. You're just super gay. So tell us, uh, uh, however much you're willing to share of, you know, so you're, you're at this place where you're four mental health professionals in and you're starting to, did you start to realize like, there's actually nothing wrong with me? When, do you remember when that realization started to hit you? Yeah, I, um, well, my marriage was falling apart for a whole lot of reasons. I think this being one of them, but not all of them. Um, and so that was a beginning of a path of some revelations and understanding. I went on a trip, um, a vacation with my mom and I met a woman who had gone through this exact same story of having been married to a man. Um, and as I talked to her, it was this, Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you need the testosterone shot? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was like, Oh gosh. Oh gosh. This is wow. Uh, maybe I'm not broken. Maybe I'm just gay. But, you know, it's funny, and I don't know if you experienced this, Kim, of the number of people who are like, well, did you ever have a crush on a girl, like in school? Like, did you ever make out with a friend? And I was like, no, no, I, I didn't. So you, I mean, even myself, I went through that, like, am I, am I not, am I? And when I listened to her story and talked with her and what was profound for me was, um, I came home and, uh, from this trip and, uh, immediately, you know, said to my former husband, like, I think I might be gay. And he said, yeah, I've thought that about you for a long time. And then one of my closest friends said the same, like my best friend from fifth grade, who was part of the reason that I was involved in evangelical Christianity before I told her, she's like, I need to ask you a question. Are you struggling with same sex attraction? Which is, um, and I was like, how did you know? So like other people saw this. Yeah. And even my 20 year old daughter, 20 year olds. Now she was 
15, when this all started said, Oh yeah, mom, I saw this coming. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Was anyone going to tell me? I mean, I said that to my, my ex, like, were you ever going to say something? It's fascinating. Like, you know, I've had people say the same thing to me too. Right. Like you didn't tell me, but my parents have said they knew from the time I was like a really young kid, they knew. And, um, this is like, whenever we have my parents on and just listeners keep in mind, my parents and I have healed from this. So when I say it, it's going to sound really harsh, but there's been a lot of healing around this, but they both, my dad, especially was like, Oh, I can, I can look back. And when you were even like a really young kid, I knew, and he's like, and I just didn't want that for you. So I don't know if they purposely thought that was worse. Like if that's what brought up a lot of the homophobia around where I lived because they just didn't want me to be gay. So I'm like, Oh, so even before I knew what gay was, I was living in a house with people that did obviously, and they were purposefully afraid of it and steering me away from it, probably unconsciously. But when people, um, because I don't think you have to have experiences with anyone to know if you're gay or not, like it, that wasn't what it was like for me. I knew I was gay before I ever had an experience with another human being. And the way that I knew, aside from the fact that I've told people this, like pay attention to your dreams, right? Cause things have a tendency to come up in your subconscious. But the first time I was around a person who was telling me about how gay they were, it was like my body lit on fire. That's the only way I can describe it. And I'm like, and I would have other friends that would tell me, you know, where they were having sex with their boyfriends. And I was like, do I have to listen to this? (laughs) (laughs) I remember a friend of mine saying too, like, I kissed a girl and I'm like, you did. You're so lucky. Lucky. (laughs) Can you, can you just keep talking about it? What happened then? What happened then? What happened then? Where like my other friends would be like, oh yeah, I had sex with this guy. And I'm like, oh God, (laughs) why did you, why, why? So that, and that's before I ever had any experiences with anyone. This was like probably my late teens, early twenties. So did I know I was gay? Well, yeah, that was a sure sign that something was going on Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. And I think, um, what it was interesting because that same 15 year old said when I came out to her, how does it feel for your insides to match your outsides, mom? And that, you know, to that belonging to yourself and finding that joy, I still, I I will never forget that comment and that statement. So how does it feel? Mm. Like back to those evangelical roots. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't help it. (laughs) Amazing. Like undescribable indescribable. What's the right word I think it's in on, you know, we were, the four of us were having uh, a double date a while back. And I shared with y'all that my name, my mom realized when I was two, that my name means sorrowful wanderer in Gaelic Deirdre and sorrowful, sorrowful wonder, say wander, again? sorrowful wanderer. I mean, that's not even, I mean, Deirdre, (laughs) sorrowful wanderer. This is like the word bunt to me. How I can't say the word bunt either. My name is bunt cake. (laughs) And I think we're all laughing because we're looking at you and that's just, you know, that's not the picture from a book describing. Well, and what's funny is that my mom learned this when I was two and she wanted to change my name to Molly. No way. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. And everyone was like, you can't change a two-year-old's 
name on them. And also you can't name a kid Molly. It has to be Margaret. Oh, my name, my full name is Margaret. <laughs> That's so bizarre though, that your mom was going to name you was going to change your name to Molly. And then you eventually end up coming out and marrying a Molly. Molly. Another daughter named Molly already came with the name. Oh, you're, my mom did not yeah. me. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Yes. Mm-hmm. Your mom. Yeah. Right. Your mom did. But I came up with a state, a phrase years and years ago of like, well, you know, and people are going around, my name means full of grace. My name means, and I'm like, well, my name means sorrowful wanderer, <laughs> but without sorrow, you can't know joy. And your middle name is, well, my middle name, my daughter's middle, your name, daughter's is joy, middle name is joy, but I've been thinking lately about changing my name to joy because I think it so describes where I am at 46 and having found the and in life that you can be a, you know, CEO and a great mom. You can be a Christian and a lesbian. You can be a lot of things with and. Mm-hmm. I think that's, um, I mean, cause you're, you're a bunch of ands. I'm looking at Alex. You're an and and an and and an and. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that way too? Did you find your joy when you were able to find it wasn't an either or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm asking, like, so you, because you for a long time you had, you you've shared on here, like, because your labels, like, they weren't fitting for you either, mm-hmm. of all the things that you thought, and so when you got your ands, did that start to open up joy to you? Yeah. I mean, really it was kind of like cautiously when I met you, I was like, oh, there's Anne's. Mm. And, um, but I was, um, a couple of seconds ago, I was g- giggling in my head because my, my dead name meant princess. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, totally princess. That's me. Your dead name means princess. Wow. Maybe, maybe, did you feel like a princess when you were in the Laura Ashley? Absolutely not. My family members would call me princess gray eyes. And I'm like, I am not a fucking princess. (laughs) And then I got a call to princess one time at work when I was in my twenties. And I was like, I think that was more about being like a privileged asshole, like, you know, 20 year old kid, which was true. But, um, yeah, that, that, that name was like, oh, what if we said you were a prince? How does that feel? How does that land on you? I think just royalty no, will just, work. <laughs> just royalty. Well, and then, the, and then Alex is like, you know, like you look up, I, I don't know, whatever it's. Yeah. Well, what does Alex mean? Now I'm curious. Well, they just, they, you know, when you look up names, it, it connects it to like historical Mm-hmm. figures and like Alexander the, the Great, which was, you know, he was, let's not. But, was he gay? Was Alexander the Great gay? I haven't heard that. I've heard Napoleon was gay. Napoleon was gay. Mm-hmm. Who wanted to have sex with Napoleon? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I'm not the target audience for him, but like, I don't necessarily. Re- yeah. I always thought like Alexander the Great was, was gay. I have not. I don't know. We're on a side. We're on a tangent here. Rabbit hole. Rabbit hole. Somebody, one of our listeners write in and tell me if you know, if you're a historian and you're listening. Okay. But back to you two. (laughs) So tell us what joy looks like today. 
Cause now it's been five years. It's been five years that you've been, it's been five years that you've been out. I don't want to say five years that you've been queer. Cause you've always been queer. It's just five years till, till you told other people you were queer. Yeah. And I think, uh, one of the things, and this, I want listeners who are maybe contemplating what coming out for them might look like. And this, I straddle the recognition that this is, uh, full of privilege, but also an expression of gratitude to those who've gone before us and have paved the way for communities and norms and things that are different than they were when you came out, Molly, that my coming out journey has been beautiful. I did not have anyone who didn't embrace me they held the closet doors open. And so I think for any listener who's wondering what it might be like, here's one person and it's only one who even coming from an evangelical slash Catholic slash, um, I remember coming back from that trip and sitting, I mean, I was the PTA president. I drove a Honda Odyssey. Y'all have already clarified. I look like a cheerleader. Like I am that Costco mom. And I remember sitting at the neighborhood pool where I was like a little bit of a, you know, node of all the other moms who would come and, Hey, what should we do when our kid is sick? You know, and going, how am I going to do this? How am I? And I was like, nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares about your little story. And that was very liberating of like, you're not that important. Um, and in the end, everybody was like, good for you. Like way to be. And I think it's been beautiful to see, you know, other little blonde girls with long ponytails look at me like, Oh, okay. Like gay doesn't have an image anymore. And that that's something I think that's, um, or like I should image isn't the right word, but there isn't this stereotypical viewpoint of what gay looks like. And I, I, I like being part of that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that my experience has been the same. Um, I did not have, I had a lot of doors opened and then I had a lot of doors closed. Um, and that's okay. Um, it just tells me a lot about the people that close those doors where they're at. And it's not so much about me. Mm -hmm. And so that feeling of liberation, like when you're describing, like sitting at your neighborhood pool and you're like, yeah nobody actually really does give a shit. And the people that do give a shit enough to close a door, it tells me everything I need to know about them. Mm -hmm. And I can walk away from that and not really feel a whole lot other than, I guess I kind of feel some sympathy. Like I feel some empathy for them. I really mm -hmm. do. It kind of, um, I think what I have just found in gen in general, this isn't just about being queer, but people that end up being happy for me are people that are also really happy with themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and maybe, and maybe because it took me so long to come out that I've weeded all of those folks out of my life. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> like, but you've had some experience with this too. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that back to that, that with the, and like it, it's a door. Cause like all those things, like being a professional and a, and a parent and, and for me, like I knew I was 
gay, but then there was that something else, which was my gender. And I think those ands become, yes, I can be non-binary and transgender and a parent. And um, so they became doors. I'm, I know I'm kind of like going backwards, but I wanted to mm. m- mention that. And then you also did have experiences with people that they, once you were able Close to have the doors. language to tell people who you were, you, you had a lot of doors opened and a lot of support, but you did have some folks that really struggled. Yeah. I still, I still process it. Like, you know, every day, I think I've wrapped my head around that, you know, you don't process a friendship or, or a relationship. Like if, if you're still processing it, the pain is still there and it's your responsibility to maybe like dig into like and change the narrative around it. Um, but I think for me, for, in my experience, like, um, sharing who I am and then also, you know, having, um, a kid in, so like that closed, it felt like a lot of doors all at the same time. And then also, of course, a lot of doors, um, it just, you, it, it makes you go in, in other directions that are full of joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Pete, yeah. No, no, no. Finish your sentence. Well, and uh, no, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, and I, <laughs> I, 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 I hate when you do that to me. Cause I'm like, well, I need to know all it's, the things. It's, it's because it's, it's a story it's rooted in, um, around, around our kid and it still fucking hurts like hell. Um, some, a doctor of, of psychology, like a school psychologist who said, well, maybe she's been abused, mm-hmm. sexually abused. And that's why she's trans. And I, and I, it still hurts, still hurts. And like, you're not a friend, yeah. not a friend at all. And, um, and you're, and, and you're calling yourself like, I guess it, yeah. <laughs> it hit, it hit in a very low spot. Yeah. Cause it's your, it's like, what's it's your kid, right? Like it's this person you created and came out of your body. And then someone's basically like unknowingly thinking that they know best because they have a PhD in front of their name, that they're an expert and that like, they've just, there's no words. Like I, yeah. I think it goes back to like, even when you were talking about having been with four mental health professionals and, um, nobody thought to say to you, Hey, maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, who you're doing things with. (laughs) Yeah. Three of those were actually physicians, MDs, not even mental health. Like one was a, a a therapist, but three were doctors or yeah. Yeah. So I had been through, I think three or four therapists, um, varying degree levels, but all, uh, 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 either psychology, psychologists or psychiatrists, Um, some doctors, some, some not, but not one of them ever thought to say to me, Hey, do you think what could be, cause I would describe a lot of the same things, um, that you describe like, okay, I'm going to be a a good soldier. I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I knew, I knew on a deep level that I was queer, but I also wasn't, um, like unhappy. I had a good, I had, I think I had a good, a good marriage and 
I was really struggling though, really struggling with, and it would show up in really odd ways, like body image. Mm -hmm. Um, it, you know, it never was like this direct line, but I was really desperately lonely was really what it came down to and would talk about this and talk about this and was hiding kind of the queerness from the therapist a little bit. And it was the same thing. It was like, well, maybe you should make, um, you know, a menu for, for sex. That was one of the things that I got was make a date for sex and make a, make a menu of the things that you would like to put on your menu that you would like to do. And, you know, I look back on it and I'm like, oh my God, they just didn't get it. They just didn't get that. Like they, and I think it just says, it says that there's still a lot of bias that people think that queerness is a choice. It's not actually who you are, that you can just turn it on and on or off, um, that you're, you know, you're choosing this. So, Hey, you're not going to get everything that you want because it's a a choice. And I just kind of want to like shake those therapists and be like, this is not a fucking choice. (laughs) This is, this is who I, this is who all of us are. Yeah. This, uh, this idea of choice makes me want to tell a rowing story. I'm looking at Alex Go for it. <laughs> it's kind of, it. because I, you know, I, I sum- summarized growing up and, you know, I made, I think I made the statement that I knew from an early age that I was, I was queer, I was gay. And, um, it, but it, it's not linear like that. You know, it was a slow, it was, it was a slow process for me to figure that out. And I knew that I actually really wanted to make a choice to be straight. That looked a lot better in many ways. And when I was on the rowing team, um, was a freshman on the rowing team. And there's, there's a tradition, the senior men's rowers uh, throw a party for the freshman girls, women. We can unpack that later. That's another (laughs) another podcast, but nonetheless, there's this party. And one of the senior men on the team, um, he, he, his name was Brian and he was an awesome athlete. He was a philosophy major. He was really attractive, but thoughtful and warm and had really nice eyes and curly hair and a super good athlete. And he liked me. He liked me. And, you know, I just, I thought, oh my gosh, of all these freshman girls, something, something about me, you know, he had picked out and I, (laughs) I wanted so hard to like him back, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I just thought like this, if I, if I could be straight, like this would be the guy. And I just could not, I could not, you know, I think we went out one time. I think maybe we kissed once, but I, for me, that, that was a tipping point in my twenties. And I thought, uh, this, if I cannot date and like Brian, that's it. Like, you know, you're done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm so done. Gay. I'm so gay. I'm, I'm the gay team. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Right. Cause like how many guys are walking around from the way you described Brian? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, when it comes to, yeah. Heterosexual men, he was, he was, he seemed, yeah. Pick of the litter. And I, I just, I couldn't pick him. I couldn't. Even though you tried really hard. I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. You how Yeah. And what a beautiful thing that whatever it was in your upbringing or whatever it was in your grit as a young person that you saw that so quickly. Whereas my story, it took me two marriages, 20 something years to make that choice for myself to be authentic. Everybody's on their own path. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say the same thing that we're all on our own path. And especially when it comes to sense of self and coming out, we we've talked about this all the time on this podcast, people constantly say like, why did you do 
this? Why did you do that? Why did you make these choices? And I came out to everybody in my life. I could not have come out a second sooner than I did. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't have. Mm-mm. Doesn't make me any less queer. Doesn't mean anything. It just, that was what it took for me. And, and I, I don't want to downplay the religious aspects of it because growing up and focus on the family you mentioned in the beginning, um, or growing up in, in, um, some, not all I'm going to do. So don't come for me people, but there is depending on the system that you're in that system of oppressing when it comes to queerness, it is vicious. Mm -hmm. What happens to you? Um, you are constantly hearing. It's not like you hear it once you hear it multiple times a week in your most formative years. And it scares, it scares you. It scares you to think of what could happen to you. If you admit this one thing, cause it's not just that they're threatening that you're going to get thrown out of your church. You're going to get thrown out of your community. You're going to be disowned by your parents. You could end up being homeless, um, or unhoused. Sorry. We were talking about this before with language. Um, but it's also, you're going to face eternal hell. Mm-hmm. You're less than you're there's something wrong with you. Like you have to imagine you're not hearing that once you're hearing it over and over and over again for years of your life. You can't, you can't diminish the effect that that can have on a human being. Not at all. And you know, Kim, it's interesting. Cause you asked me about, I don't remember what the question was, but the same line of thinking about choosing a church for one of my kids that might, might, or might not be gay. I also had this weird, um, kind of a perseveration on a couple of different friends in my life who had conservative evangelical pastor parents and they were gay. They had come out and I, I couldn't like let go of their grief and agony. And this is long before I had any sort of revelation that this wasn't about them. This was about me. Um, but I remember even thinking I might go back and get my master's in therapy and specialize in counseling queer people who were raised in really oppressive religious communities. Wow. What does that say? Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like that was you trying to heal yourself. Exactly. Like I've, I've had this yeah. third person view of the world. Huh? Not so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever on, on Facebook, you like, like the memories. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I like, I've read memories that will pop up from like, oh gosh, like 10 years ago, eight years ago. And I am like pro trans rights, gay rights, like, you know, uh, marriage rights, all these things. And you, you know, we, we speak our truth in plain sight and not, and also aren't able to see it about ourselves. I, I really resonate with that too. Cause I remember getting into knockout fights with my family about gay rights. Mm-hmm. And I remember distinctly having, especially a lot of conversations around, well, it's a civil union. Why can't we just do a civil union? And I remember like going rounds and rounds and rounds fighting about it. I, I really don't like when people would say that um, it's not the same. Um, but I think, you know, it was, it was partly, obviously I'm trying to heal my own self. And also I just wanted that for not even so much if I had kids, but 
it's, it says something so much about us that we were willing to fight for something for someone else, but we weren't ready to fight for it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's where some of those ors and ands come in for me that I, I was so conditioned to think that my life was going to have to be an or like, well, it's not worth fighting it for myself. That choice isn't that, that door is shut. It's not open for me, but I want to fight for it to be open for someone else. Like how little did I value myself that I couldn't see that for a long time. And then one day I did. That may have been when I met you, Alex. <laughs> uh-huh. Do you want to talk about what joy today looks like, Molly? You want to talk about the socks on the floor, yeah, the dog slobber, do, work, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, take us through it a little bit. You guys have been, well, you, you actually got married during the pandemic. Yeah. We don't want to jinx you or anything, but we next, when you're signing your marriage certificate, that was us on March 13th of 2020 going down, just doing the little signing of the document before our fun celebration. And the next day the world goes into lockdown. <laughs> uh huh. I mean, not a bad way to spend your first days of wedded bliss well, together. Yeah. No. And then a year. Of- yeah. I guess, I mean, yeah. So some other friends have said, oh my gosh, in our first year of marriage, after signing that paperwork, we experienced like a lot of years because we were together mm-hmm. every day, 24 mm-hmm. seven, um, with big jobs that were really connected to the pandemic. Yeah. Working yeah. a lot. Yeah. So talk to us about this, the celebration that you guys do eventually have, yeah. right. It was two months ago. I I'm just, because I'm, this is like, my, this is for totally selfish reasons because we're about to have a giant celebration. So can you guys reflect for us just a little bit on what was, what was the idea going into it that you wanted to have a celebration and what was the day like? Like what, what did joy show up for as you during that day? Hmm. Yeah, I think, um, it mostly it was mostly my vision. <laughs> I think I lo- I loved our day so hard. I still do. I mean, it is when I think about it, it is just a rush of joy and bliss to my head and my heart. Um, Psycho dogs, just yeah. ignore them. Keep the going, said, Molly. Oh, we're, they're getting to the crux of the joy of the moment. They want in the room to hear. <laughs> if if our Sorry. listeners could see our house, we it have, should be a TV show. It should be a TV show. <laughs> Somebody call Netflix for us because if while Molly's about to talk about joy, the dog is like scratching at the door, and then you see like a random child run up, <laughs> grab a dog, and sprint the other way with it. Okay, Molly, Joy, yeah, back to me. Yeah, the, I, the other piece of me in experiencing feeling joy, and I, I don't know if it's, I don't know that it's necessary for joy, but it's an additional layer to it. Is there's there's something about visibility for me that really enhances my joy, and I think our celebration was visibility was so important to me. Um, it was important for me, who I am now as a 42 year old. And I just kept thinking of my teenage self who couldn't even envision this beautiful life, this wife, this uh, community that I was surrounded with. Um, You know, it it was beautiful. Uh, So the visibility was really, it was really important. And that just, that enhanced the joy of it. Um, We had a, a nice, ceremony in a backyard. There were food trucks. There were my friends from college. Our families were there. The kids were there. Um, it was, it was, it was perfect. It was really, it was perfect. And for me, that day was about a gift to you because 
truth be told, after a pandemic and a lot of baked goods from this woman, the last thing I wanted to do was put on a snug fitting dress <laughs> on this 46 year old cheerleader body. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I have never loved another human being so hard that I would have put, I would have wrapped myself in aluminum foil if it was part of the vision that she had for this day and what it meant to her and for that community and that visibility and the freedom that you said mm-hmm. in your vows of today is about, you know, love and marriage is about love and freedom. And that's profound for me because I didn't ever think that I would feel this way. I never thought I would feel so connected, so attached, <laughs> so willing to go anywhere, do anything wear anything for somebody I cared so deeply for. And so that's what the day was for me. I mean, the food trucks were fun too. Yeah, (laughs) They were really good. There were pizza, (laughs) there were tacos. Yeah. Uh Yeah. It makes me think how the, 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 the overlapping of like visibility to vulnerability Mm, to joy. Mm. And so like, I didn't truly now, I don't think I truly had joy at that soul sense because I couldn't see myself. And then, and then being vulnerable, um, you know, that's part of acknowledging our, our joy. And so like, you know, we were talking last couple of days ago about you know, wants and needs. And like, I, I need to hear your needs. Like I need to hear your wants. I want to hear. So it's like, like we don't, you know, there is, there, there's a constant overlap in what, in what this all looks like and feels like, because then like love, like, I think as a little kid, you're like, I want to fall in love and I want to get married. And you don't know what it's going to feel like until you actually feel it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, this, this is what it feels like. Mm -hmm. And we try with mere words to be like, well, maybe it would be like this. Yeah. I, I resonate with, it is the word freedom. I think it's just, it's a multi-layered word for me, right? Because it's, it's the freedom to marry the person that I want to marry. It's my right to marry the person that I want to marry, um, which is important to me. And, and Deirdre, you said it really well before, like it's the acknowledgement of the people that came before us that were able to stand here and say that, um, it's the acknowledgement that it's still also always under threat. Mm -hmm. Um, justice Sotomayor broke it down the other day of like, why we can't ever get too comfortable that this is going to come as much as people will say, Oh no, 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 no. You guys are safe. You guys are safe. That is not actually true. Mm -mm. Um, if you, if anybody's interested, you can look up what um, Justice Sotomayor said the other day about it. So it's the freedom to, this is my right to do this. And I, I fully intend on exercising my rights, just like everybody else does. It's the freedom that I'm going to do this in the full acknowledgement and standing there of who I am and not hiding it from anyone. Mm. And that is to me, what leads to the vulnerability, which I'm still, I have to always work on because I feel like I was so conditioned not to be vulnerable. And also in previous parts of my life, if I was vulnerable, what the fuck was going to come out? Right. So 
I'm, I've said it this so many times on this podcast that the closet sometimes feels more familiar to me than being out. Mm -hmm. And I consciously have to work against it. And when I do it well, I experience over the top joy to where I almost can't contain it in my body. Mm -hmm. And I become a walking, like you would say like mess, but I'm not a mess. I'm just actually really feeling yeah. It just makes me look like a mess because I cry and I laugh and I'm like screaming and jumping up and down and dancing. And that's how joy shows up for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, um, my kids dad, my former husband, um, the kids said something to him that he relayed to me about crying all the time when they said, Oh mom, we were doing something and Oh mom was crying. And he's like, your mom because that was not me in my previous you held it all tight, right? held it all tight. And they said, yeah, mom cries all the time now, not because she's sad. And he said that to me, like, what a statement to where you've come and how you can live outside of yourself of just putting it all out there. And it is, it's very vulnerable. Yeah. I think joy is like just feeling period. Like allowing yourself to finally feel. That's what I'm finding, right? <laughs> Something I did not allow myself to do for a really long time. And I still have to consciously work at, yeah. but that's okay. And, sh and then, and then maybe, and then sharing it, like we can all feel, but then you, like having that place to, to share it with, with someone or people or, yeah. Well, I love being around people that are talking and thinking about this every day too. Before we wrap, is there any advice that you guys would give us knowing that the next time you see us, it's going to be actually at our celebration? Any last words of advice? I, I don't think we have any. It's so, it's so personal. It's you, you know, I, I think uh, just embrace who you are and, and what you love about each other. It's going to be so fun. Make sure that you put a bra that actually works for your dress <laughs> yeah. in the bag. Uh, there you go. Test out your undergarments on, on your with costume. the actual dress. Yeah. You know what that actually, I mean, this wraps into the joy. We had the best weekend of our wedding and it wasn't about that moment. It wasn't about the, all of the perfect things of, did we get the playlist just right? Did we have the flowers position just so we took our closest friends that all flew in her, Molly's rowing buddies, my buddies, my best friends from childhood. And we went out for a sushi lunch the day of our wedding. And we were having such a good time just being with people who we love, who've known us our whole lives that the photographer texted us because she was at the hotel. We weren't there. We weren't dressed. We weren't showered. And we were like, oh, well, and she said, you're the most re yeah. relaxed brides I've ever experienced. Yeah she, yeah, she liked it, but it was a little. And those are the moments that, yeah, when you're in this space of life, you're like, yeah, okay, fine. And I literally didn't have the right bra for the dress. Yeah, so test out your undergarments. That's <laughs> <laughs> my advice. Be in the moment. I'm going to, I'm now, I'm now I'm going to be like that whole day and be like, did I test these? Did I test this? Did I test this? Can I dance in this? Can I move in this? Your undergarments are easier. You're wearing a suit. Yeah. I'm not going to test a bra. That's for sure. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming on and sharing. And 
I always want to um, acknowledge that I know I know we have folks out there that listen to us that are trying to determine how to do this. How do you how do you have the courage to just, just say who you are and just remember you got you've got a lot of people sitting here and sitting with you. You can do this. You can. Yes, you can. Yeah, and and I just want to. I hope for the listeners out there, you can feel because in this room, like the the feeling of like the closeness and intimacy and the joy of like just the hope that comes across to the listeners because it's everyone deserves to feel this. Mm. Everyone deserves to be loved and to be them and belong and belong, belong. but not have to fit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Fit in is not fit is what I think of, of my jeans. Am I going to fit in my jeans? Am I going to fit in my undergarments that are Our going on costumes. under? Yeah. <laughs> fit is not a word for us, but thank you guys. Alex, do you want to tell people all the things that they need to do? Okay. You're so good at telling people all the things. I try. Well, if you'd like to find us on social media, we're on um, Instagram and, and Facebook at balls of magic. We also, um, you could email us at, <laughs> it's very official. See where I highly produce podcast. She set you up. Yeah. I do this to you every week. I know. And I should have a spiel, but I really don't. Um, you can email us at how to be queer podcast at gmail.com. We are now on Apple podcasts as well as, um, iHeartRadio. I didn't know that. <laughs> We're big time. <laughs> Do you, are we do worthy? Do you knowing think them? it's, do you think it's time now that we figure out what to do? See, I love how we're finishing the podcast and now the dogs are quiet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, they know. Typical. Right. Okay. Thanks balls of magic for staying in with us. Remember to go to youth scene and send some love there. And the next time Alex and I are back, we're going to be, what are we calling ourselves? Oh yeah. What are we going to be lawfully? Wedded. Well, we'll be we'll be wives. I'm just a, a they, them wife. Yes. So when we come back, we'll be like, Hey, balls of magic. It's, it's Kim pronouns. She, her Alex pronouns. They, them. We are wives. It's like the word bunt again, <laughs> right? <laughs> wives. Just send us a bunt Arch. cake to <laughs> send a, send a bunt cake. <laughs> We like chocolate. <laughs> I do like chocolate. But is that what we're going to be? We're going to be wives? We'll be bunts. No. Um, <laughs> yes. All right. We will We will uh, next week tune in um, with our friend Kim for, trans- well, for this is, yeah, next week, join in for um, Kim, who's going to talk to us about Transgender Day of Remembrance. And then when we come back, we'll share with you listeners, how did the ceremony and celebration go? Wedded bliss. You ready to spend forever with me? It's not like I'm giving you a choice. My gift is <laughs> Andrea, edit out for us. Okay. Oh, boring. Okay.